Welcome back. It is Six Pack Lapidat. <clears throat> Today, uh, I'm going to be sitting in here again by myself uh, in terms of no co-host, but we do have a guest, Rob Ali, 83 Kilo Phenom. And uh, also, we'll, we'll dive into this, but he's laying down groundwork, pushing the powerlifting sport in Asia, making all types of moves, helping federations get established, setting up seminars, setting up these online seminars for them as well, uh, training protocols. So at the forefront of pushing our sport bigger and more global, which we need. And obviously, if you pay attention over there in Asia, watch the Olympics. They got some mad athletes, man. If they start getting on board with powerlifting, heads up. A couple things I want to talk about uh, before we get to Rob. The uh, hybrid competition, Steffi Cohen and the crew held John Hack, my God, just smashing some weights. We had said before in the GOAT debate, I mean, John had obviously that huge showdown win um, against Brett Gibbs. Since then, hadn't really put together a super meet. I would say his win over Brett, that's a super meet. You know, when I say super meet, I mean everything was firing that day. It doesn't mean you hit every single lift, but it means you got 100% out of your body rose to a whole nother level and took a huge win on a global stage. And um, obviously Brett himself pulled that off in the last IPF Worlds when he hit the three times, or sorry, 10 times body weight total. But um, Hack in 2016 Texas IPF World Championships, when he beat Gibbs, he had himself a super meet and everybody was like, my God, John Hack's potential. Yeah, he was still a junior and he won the Opened and he won it with a, a world record total. Nobody had ever hit that before previously. And um, afterwards, had everybody thinking, how far can he go? You know, how far can he push this? A, a guy who's a junior like that. Since then, had some rough goes here and there. You know, he's shown, definitely shown flashes of greatness because he is a great lifter. But hadn't had what I would term a super meet. And then this weekend, that hybrid... And when I say this weekend, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to drop, but it, it was um, the hybrid powerlifting competition they had. And Hack at the 181 weight class, so he's now in the untested, posted the greatest 181 total we had ever seen. I mean, this guy's pulling 765 pounds. This dude is just, just smashing weights. And all of a sudden, you see, he put together his super meat. Never before in the 181s have we ever seen this. It's just like he did in the 83 kilo. Now, was the competition as stiff at this one? I don't know who he had to beat out in the 181s there. I don't think Malik was there, but historically speaking, he's beaten these totals. Historically speaking, it doesn't matter who showed up at that 181 class. Nobody would have beat him. Come the U.S. Open, Johnny Hack is in a prime position and he's going to have some opposition. I'm assuming Ben Pollock. I'm assuming Malik. I'm assuming these fellas are all going to come out to play. But John Hack is in prime position to get that win. If Hack gets that win, he will be the first ever to have won an IPF World Championships and a U.S. Open. And those are the two biggest untested and tested. Those are the two biggest. By far, I don't even think it's close. I think everybody would say the Super Bowl for tested, IPF World Super Bowl for untested, U.S. Open, and there you have it. 
hack, unless I'm totally admitting somebody, if I am, shoot me a message and let me know. But I believe John Hack would be the first ever to accomplish that. And he's still a young ass man. How far he's going to push it, God knows. Now, I said before, if you want to be called a goat, you got to do special things. Titles are huge because on the day of how it is in competition, nobody gives a shit about what you did in training. No one did a shit like the, the regular season's one thing. When it's the playoffs, when it's the world championships, that's huge. When you look at your competition across the warm-up room and, and you're about to go toe-to-toe on that platform, that's big. How you show up day of is big. Hack has done it before. If he does it again in the untested and takes that biggest title, those are two massive titles if he can accomplish that. Couple that with in the tested IPF, he broke Walt, the world record, and then in the untested, breaks the world record. I mean, we're start, he's starting to pile up a resume. He's starting to pile up a resume, isn't he? We might not be able to say, look, he came and went from the 83 kilo class a little too quick to be the 83 kilo goat. Probably takes a little longer than that. But bigger picture, overall goat status, he's definitely climbing up those rankings. Now, some people are going to start saying, look, at historically speaking, we got some big names in the whole sport of powerlifting. But John Hack's still in his mid-20s. Where's he going to be at by the time he's mid-30s? If he can continue this pacing, and we're not just talking per weight class, Although, he might end up being the best 181 of all time. But in overall, where could John Hack be? Starting to get a little bit exciting right now. When he's on fire and he started getting fired up, people started getting excited when he's dropping these training videos, pulling 800 pounds, and he's going to weigh in at 181. And he's not, look at it, it's 24-hour weigh-ins. He's no more bigger than he would be when he's 83 kilo, two-hour weigh-ins. He does not cut a lot of body weight. I believe he was still in the buck 80s for body weight. Not a huge guy. Doesn't like cutting a lot of water. Got some massive weight on him. Now the squat hasn't gone up a crazy amount since his IPF days, but he's taken some injuries. Now he's taken some injuries squatting and he's been, uh, he's been transparent about it and let people know. But that dead is moving. That bench is moving. I can only imagine if he's 100% and, and, and all the injuries that have, have acclimatized on, the, on dealing with that squat. Because squat's still nice. Look, the squat's still, I think it was 665. Yeah, what is that, 302.5 kilo? That's a, that's a huge squat. That's a massive squat, don't get me wrong. But, um, but he's been squatting in that, in that range for years now. So in terms of progress isn't quite as great as his bench is dead or, or really rocking and rolling here, I would say, uh, percentage-wise. But he's been dealing with some injuries and had to pull back on the squat. Now, let's say in the U.S. Open, everything gets cleared up and his squat really starts moving towards the 700 range. What are we looking at? What are we looking at now? Now, I see this. It's, you know, when the competition rises... Sometimes you get pushed in training, and that's how injuries happen. U.S. Open, damn, if people don't get really fucked up in that U.S. Open. It's like a damn football game out there. Guys are getting so hurt. You, know, you, you watch the U.S. Open. Dudes are just getting crushed by a massive weight. 
hamstrings flying off the bone, hitting people in the first row. It's crazy because there's like 40K US on the line. I get it. I get it. So it's um, sometimes easier to smash these weights and hit it in the local meet. And sometimes in the big show, you might be pressed. But hey, it's 40K on the line. <laughs> You're going to go a little more all out. It'll be interesting to see. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with John. Um, I think he's picked his path. There's no going back to the IPF. But um, and initially, it would be, you know, it was, was it the right move to move, leave the IPF? Because you can leave the IPF as number one dog, enter the untested, but you're never going to be number one again. You'll always be, you'll always be second or third. Because you're not going to be doing what some of these other fellas are doing. You know, for a variety of different reasons. But uh, it looks like he made the right choice after all. It looks like he's, he's fully adjusted to his new weight class, new division. And in this position could be making 40K a year range. I mean, that's if you win best lifter. Let's say he just wins his weight class 10K. That's just one meet 10K. Let's say he does a bunch of money meets here and there. And he can be making a living with a hobby sport. Can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. And all-time great status goes up. Be interesting to see. All eyes on that. Just wanted to give a shout out to that. Caleb Woolham. Massive deadlift as well. 915. Um, and my God, anyone paying attention to Amanda Lawrence? Holy smokes. She's taking 500 pounds, 227 kilo for reps of seven on squat. What the hell is going on here? What are we talking about here? She's deading 600. A little bit, not quite shoulders back for the lockout, but whatever. It's still, it's it'll be there by June. You see this girl's progress. It is ridiculous. Has anybody progressed like Amanda Lawrence based off training numbers? I can't, I can't anybody of anybody, and we're going to drop the King of the Lifts award, year in awards um, very shortly. Okay, over the holidays, you'll see them popping up. We'll have a, a special year review podcast and we'll discuss who got what awards and why and we'll even debate it because not all of us agreed on it and that's good but one thing I don't think too much of too many people can oppose would be Amanda Lawrence has got to be the person to watch 2019 Mike like it is mind-boggling she takes 550 this rep weight in the squat how is this possible this girl the, the speed she takes 500 for reps for paused that's 227 kilo. You know, 250 kilo squat for reps. 550, like, are you kidding me? It's insane what this girl's putting up. Her 2019. Look, Daniela Mello is a phenomenal talent. And head-to-head comp beat her outright. Is Daniela Mello's progress like this? Is anybody's progress like this? Is anybody's progress like this? Daniela Mello's got to be, hot oh, damn. Maybe I got my win at the best possible time because I might not get another. I got a win over a possible future legend. It looks like, I mean, you got you to do it in competition. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe Danielle Amel is absolutely killing it as well. But the progress Amanda Lawrence is making, I can't even wrap my head around. I can't even wrap my head around it. Yeah, you know, every and it's not just me. Everyone's commenting like, "What the shit?" Seems like I come on here every week. There's more like just huge jumps for PRs. PR, 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 massive. 
You know, just massive weight being squatted, deadlifted, and the bench is moving. You know, it, it, uh, she's looks like she's, I, I got, I, I can't wait to see the package she reveals at the IPF World Championships. And Daniela Mello will be in the open. She'll be in the junior. She might have total Daniela in the open. If the pace like this, if you crunch the numbers, whew, whoa. Now, when these two go toe-to-toe on the same platform, same day, at the Raw Nationals? <laughs> whoa, whoa. What the hell is Amanda Lawrence going to be squatting by then? What is she squatting in a year's time? It was, I, could, I, could, I would never thought, like, Bonica Brown would squat 600. Much, much larger than these ladies, though. I couldn't wrap my head around anybody squatting 600 in the women's 84 kilo class. Now I can. Now I can. And if you squat and deadlift in the 600s like Amanda Lawrence might be at the next Raw Nationals, can Danielle Mello still beat her? <laughs> it's a big ask. <laughs> it's Things are hot right now, ladies and gentlemen. But um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I've been seeing this popping up and we've been reposting and there's a lot of discussion. We might have to have Amanda Lawrence back on here. But for me, the number one person to watch in 2019, Daniela Mello. And then for the men, number one person I'd say to watch, John Hack. John Hack. Those are the two walking into 2019. You better watch out. Some big things are going to happen. Anyways, let's give Rob Ali a ring here. 83 kilo lifter. Uh, just in the shark tank in terms of a division. But also pushing powerlifting to all different parts of the world. Where powerlifting isn't at the forefront yet. And he's doing, he's fighting a good fight to make it happen. So let's get him on the phone right now. Awesome. So we got 83 kilo lifter Rob Ali also. Um, doing your part, pushing powerlifting, spreading it across the world. I'd love to see that. Um, cause so many times you have so many people who just want to, in terms of this sport, it's hard to get someone just to volunteer to, to spot and load. You know what I mean? Like I say, like people and people do memes and shit, talking shit about people like the spotters. And these are all volunteers who are like, like it's, it's such a shitty job cause it's not fun loading and, and people get pissed if you get a misload or whatever. And um, so often, people just take, they show up, and I ask people, like, how often do you, do you volunteer spot loading, anything like that? Zero. Be like, nah. But been lifting for years, show up and take, and um, giving back to the sport, uh, it's very few and far between. So when you hit me back in, that, in, the, in our messages saying, what you've been doing in Asia to grow the sport, um, doing like seminars online, helping federations get established, trying to help out where you can, I'm like... That's it, man. That's it. You know what I mean? Like that's it helps. It it, it helps uh, redeem my outlook on some of our lifters out there. So I love to hear it. Um, so let, let's you know we'll, we'll get into that in a sec. But let's give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself. Because for myself, you popped up on my radar when I seen some of your training videos, and I was like, oh shit! Like you hit a six fifty squat to for European lifter lifters. Uh, 295, 295 kilo squat, smooth, man, dead was on point, I had um, Russell Orhe on the podcast, on the preview show, and we were talking like, 
Who are you worried about? Because everybody's talking Sean Noriega, etc. Who are you worried about? Who do you who who are you watching? That's like what this shit is this all about? And he was like, listen, I've been looking at the King of the Lifts, and I've seen Rob Ali, and he's got me all types of worried. So for those who don't know, let's talk a little bit about your background, catch him up to the Raw Nationals, and then we'll expand from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess let me start all the way from like when I started lifting or just powerlifting only. You know what? Let's take it from the top, your previous athletic background, because I find it okay. interesting whether or not people were always athletic and come from an athletic family and what other sports they were in, or some people just, no. They, they, they okay. just, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I basically just started lifting in high school. I was like 16, um, 26 right now. And my parents didn't actually let me play too many sports. They were, like, worried about, like, concussions from football and all that kind of shit, right? Yeah. So I started lifting with my friends in the lock, in the, um, the weight room. So I found that I liked the training more than the actual sport, so I just kind of stuck with it. And like unlike a lot of guys who kind of want to be just the biggest guy in the gym, I wanted to be the most unassuming guy, right? Because I was like super small, like I'm like five and a half feet tall, and at the time I was like 150. Yeah. Right? So I was like, I want to be the guy where you look at him and you wouldn't expect anything out of him, but then when I, I move something... Everybody's like, oh, shit, so <laughs> God can move some weight. There's a story to this so, guy. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I started. And uh, I did a little bit of uh, lifting from like 16 to 18, maybe 19. And my sister was the one who told me, um, I was like, why don't you try competing in something? Because, you know, you're, you're pretty good at this. So I'm like, all right, I did some research. I didn't want to do weightlifting at the time. Mm. So I found powerlifting. I had no idea what it was. And I decided to sign up for a local competition. There's a federation called RPS in the Northeast in the United States. And so I just signed up there. I ended up winning my class, and um, I was hooked from that point. Because I'm like, oh, shit, I'm really good at this, actually. Not only am I good in the gym, I can win competitions. Yeah. So after that, um, I decided I wanted to do something a little bit more strict and something that was drug tested because I knew there were some guys walking around there who were absolutely using PEDs. Um, not that I was great at that time, but I wanted that you know higher level of competition. So I found the USAPL, and I competed there as a 74 kilo, and that, I think, was like 2014, I think. Um, so yeah, I did that one, and then went to nationals as a 74 kilo that year. Um, competed in that, didn't do as well as I had hoped. Um, I was just like amateurish at that point. I mean, I was like the guy who would go in, I'd squat bench down from the same day all to failure. Like, you know, I was doing <laughs> stupid shit like, yeah. you know, box jumps. Um, I was doing, uh, I'm sorry, box squats. I was doing plyometrics every workout. I was, whatever I could do, however much I could beat myself up is what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Time, right? So, <laughs> eventually, I started getting a little bit more intelligent about how I trained um, started researching a bit more, eventually found um, Jason Trombley from the Strength Guys yeah. through one of my friends, uh, Gary Amwinter, who's one of their bodybuilders. And uh, Jason really opened up my eyes to, you know, a different side side of training, um, you know, and coaching. Like, There's a number of different things he showed me. One was that you can take coaching to a high level, right, which is what inspired me to become a coach as well. 
And then also it showed me that like, you know, people like Taylor Atwood, for example, you know, you can do um, a pretty, you can do a lot, you know, as a natural athlete, you know, um, as long as you dedicate the time and discipline to your training. So it inspired me to like, you know, go for the top, you know, because ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to be some sort of like world-class athlete, you know, and originally it was track because it just, that's what I first was drawn to, and then eventually went to lifting. So once I um, I found Jason, I was like, you know what? I really do think this is going to work out between me and him and the coach-athlete relationship to eventually, hopefully, take a world title. You know, not that I'm there yet, but we know we're closing in on those higher goals. numbers soon. That's right. When you lay down in bed and you put your head on your pillow, it's the world championship people picture, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah, yeah. So then, um, this is like 2014 ish. Have you been with them ever since the strength guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hired a uh, Shauna Mendelson, uh, Scott Mendelson's sister, originally as my first coach, and um, didn't work out between me and her. Just um, it was nothing wrong. It just didn't work out for me. And then um, I found Jason, and I really, really liked how um, he, everything was based on like evidence, right? And like there was a reason to back everything up and why he was making the decisions he was doing. Yeah. Uh, and eventually Ben Escrow had joined forces with him, and then now they co-coach me and a few other of their athletes. So I've been with them since then. We had uh, we had them on the podcast. Very meticulous with the data they collect. Yes. All their decisions, they are totally against. Well, I shouldn't you know I want to speak total absolutes here, but in terms of that the old template format, this always works. We got these templates together. They were they were telling me how very much they want feedback, collect data off individuals, and then can make the decision on what you're gonna be doing the next week. What you even gonna be doing? They said, do they use um, bar speed velocity with yourself as well or no? Um, I believe that they're starting to gather data for that right now. Um, I know that Taylor Rat was been doing a lot of work with that. He's also one of their coaches, and I believe they're doing some with me right now. I could be wrong about that. Um, but that's a new area they're starting to venture into collecting data and then using that as another tool. Yeah. See, I'm, uh, I'm just putting my phone on airplane mode. I just remember to do that. Bam. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because they were saying how with RPEs, um, you could somewhat kid yourself when you're the lifter. Like everyone knows if you've, like, you've coached, you see people who like press it and they're like RP8 and that show was definitely not an RP8. And, um, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's super and you get you get like emotionally attached to certain numbers, and um, and then even like video when you watch video, I've seen like not crazy grinders, but more of a fight when I watch in real life. Watch the video of the same lift of the lifter. It always looks and Matt Gary was like he's on the podcast all the time. Talks about he doesn't trust video so much because it never really sh- it, it never looks as much of a fight when you watch it as when you watch right. in real life. So when you're the coach getting these videos, it's like. When you're there live, sometimes you're like, shit, man, that was a little heavier. Whereas um, numbers, like we're videoized, numbers don't lie. So they were saying, the strength guys, those guys were saying how they like it because the bar speed, and I know everybody's bar speed is different, but if they can compare it to all your previous bar speeds, they're like, that was definitely a little slower. You know, it, it is what it is, right? Whatever the case was. Right, exactly. You're comparing it to a past history yeah. of information. So yeah, that's 
that'll be good information once they start to use that for, I'm not sure if they're going to have that as a staple to their services or not, but it'll be great to add yeah. that in. Yeah, I know they have, uh, I know they have um, an app on their computer actually where you send the video and they can hook it up to this app and based off the video they see the bar speed, you don't even have to have the bar speed monitor on your barbell in real life. If they see yeah. it, they might be doing that to you and you don't even know already. <laughs> yeah, you talk about dark <laughs> So they got you pegged. They seem to be pretty <laughs> on the ball. Um, has their type of coaching style impacted how you approach your coaching as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jason's been kind enough to be a mentor to me in my coaching. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for him for that. Um, my methods in coaching have definitely been more refined since uh, being under them. There's, from what I, my approach is more so just about, um, it's kind of, I don't want to say modeled after them, but like it's, it takes a lot of inspiration from them. You know, in that like everything is calculated and monitored for my athletes as much data as I can, and uh, the care that Jason and Ben take of me and the athletes that I know that they also train, I also try to do the same for my athletes. So it's not just a job where I make a little side money or anything like that. I really do try absolute best I can. I lose sleep sometimes over like some things that happen with you know it's, athletes and it's sometimes or somebody. It is. It's nerve wracking, isn't it? Like it's it's one thing um, when it's yourself, and if even if you have a bad day, it's totally different when it's somebody else, and you're you you you're like powerless to go hop in there, help them out. You're on the sidelines and you're watching it. It's because of lack of control and the lack of you know being able to help out beyond. It's already said and done. And if they have a bad day, like ah, oh, even if it's not your fault, those other variables, you take it. Like, you take it to yeah. heart. It's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, you're responsible for all your athletes. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, like, if they have a bad day, like, like if they have a bad day, I'll be, like, kicking myself for, like, a while about it, right? But likewise, if they have a great day and, like, say I have a one of my recent clients, his name is uh, Cruz from Missouri, he just annihilated his uh, personal records. And uh, I, like, cracked open a beer in my apartment and, like, you know, just, like, celebrating <laughs> myself, you know, like... <laughs> Like you won the World Series, you're cracking champagne. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and like Jason and Ben, I feel do the same thing, you know, for their athletes as well. So, you know, that kind of like is carried over into me. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. So it's their their legacy is hopefully passing through me and their other athletes as well, you know? Mm-hmm. It is, um, it, well, first off, it is kind of like a lineage, right? Where when you, like, no matter what, <clears throat> you're going to bring your flavors that what you like in terms of coaching, but in terms of, like, methods, you know, methods to, to make programming and stuff, there's some, someone is, like, a lineage, because, you know, this is all, this is what you learn from them, this is what you like, you're going to sprinkle in your own stuff, I mean, it's just the way it is, everybody mm-hmm. puts their touches, but it's almost like a lineage, so it's like a legacy working down, I know what you mean, um, but also, in terms of, like, do you find, like, if you're... Uh, are you more proud of personal achievements or coaching achievements in terms of when people ask you about powerlifting? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, it's tough, eh? I'm kind of, yeah, I'm like kind of like in the growth process of both, right? The, the athleticism has definitely been there longer. So I've been an athlete more than I've been a coach. 
So I'm probably more proud of that right now for talking about as far as history. The coaching, I am very proud of because a couple reasons. One, it's all I do as a profession now, right, which is all I've ever wanted to do is be an athlete and a coach. So I'm proud of that. I'm also proud of my athletes and, like, now I've developed, you know, um, quite a large roster of athletes that I can train, and they're all, you know, getting stronger, not only physically but mentally. Even though it's a cliche, it's true. You really get to teach people, you know, how to um, handle certain situations, whether it be, you know, um, bad meets, it be life situations. You know, you're more than a coach to them uh, for just powerlifting. It's it's life, you know. I mean, like, you become friends with a lot of these um, these people that you train. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they look to you for mentorship. So I'm proud of that as well. You yeah. know, like, it's it's nice. It's a really nice feeling to know that people can rely on you and you can also give to them, you know, something that they need to better themselves. Here's a – and this is where, like, the coaching aspect – the coach uh, relationship and powerlifting is tough. And here's, here's the situation. It's kind of like what you just said there. So – Let's say one of your lifters wins the world championships, okay? You feel like if you win the world championships, you're like, oh, Dave, that's you. You won that. If your lift, one of your lifters does, it's amazing for like the coach having programmed and put all your efforts, like mentorships, they're nervous the week before, the wire cut, everything, you get them there. But when it's done, you feel sheepish to take credit because they did the lifting on the platform. So that's weird. Right. It's weird. You know? So when they do well, you feel sheepish to take credit. But on the flip side, somebody has three bad meets in a row, fire the coach. So if it's bad, right. <laughs> so it's one of these. It's, it's And that's all sports. I get it. Hockey, basketball, football, teams failing, and they have a bunch of amazing players. But the team's failing. It might not be the coach. But they say something's got to happen. They, they get rid of the coach. And sometimes players have come out being like, we can't get our shit together. It's not his fault. We just got somebody fired. And the players have said that before. Different sports, you see it, right? Um, and in powerlifting, it's kind of the same. You know, people need reasons and you just do something. And it's almost like mentally, I'm starting fresh. So you get rid of the coach. So it's one of these it's difficult because if something goes wrong, easy to say it's the coach. Something goes right, it's hard to be like, that was me. <laughs> right? Because you right. you feel like you're taking away from the lifter. But, uh, like, how do you... And, and on top of that, when you become friends with these people, that's, that's you know, because you're friends, but also it's a business relationship. Have you been in a situation where it's stuff like that, where, like, like a friend's, like, like you have a, a, a lifter you've been close with brought up, and then they end up, for whatever reason, they got to move on to a different coach. Might not have been anything that you, you could or couldn't have done. That's a difficult situation. Have you, ever, have you had that yet? Um, as far as I know, uh, the clients that have stopped coaching with me haven't gone on to other coaches. Maybe they haven't told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I've had some clients who've had to leave for you know various reasons, like they had to take over their you know, father's business or... You know, that had some sort of injury that they got on the job or whatever it might be. But it it is a weird line to dance on. Yeah. For sure. I mean, like, I, I think as a coach and an athlete, you have to just understand, you know, the communication has to be to a high level, you know, as a, in that partnership. So, like, as long as both of you are communicating honest with each other and you both have the same goals in mind, which is just to get, you know, better as an athlete – you know, um, more efficient, 
you know, more intelligent in your training and your approach to competitions, then you're fine. I mean, I don't think that everybody has bad competitions, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think that, you know, a bad competition or two should really sit with or away from a coach. It's just a matter of, you know, taking a new approach, right? And that's where I really appreciate, you know, Jason and Ben's coaching as well because they're, it's a method kind of without a method, if that makes any kind of sense, right? They, they use certain metrics to, you know, monitor athletes and to, you know, say, okay, you know, we expect a certain amount of progression, you know, but the the method that, methods that they use are individual to each lifter, right? So I think um, Eric Helms did a um, an article or a video on, like, at the importance of anecdotes and training, right? So, like, you'll have your set plan, and then you, you also have the lifters, you know, philosophies on what feels best for them. So as long as, you know, there's, like, a good marriage between, like, the ideologies of the lifter and the coach, you should be moving in the right direction. Yeah. Right? I feel like where I would want to fire a coach or a lifter sh- should fire a coach is when those ideologies don't meet up and there's too much uh, rigidity. Yeah. And, and that will lead to bad meets. Because uh, yeah, I, always, I always say, like, if you're getting a template from a coach and um, you're not, they're not collecting data from you, then they really don't know. They've, they've fired you off a template that they probably fire off everybody. And initially, you got to start somewhere. If you're brain spanking new lifter, there is no data. You don't even know it's the lifter, what works, whatever. So it's like, here's a template. Let's start. I'll collect numbers. Oh, this works. That doesn't, whatever. But um, if you're firing off, like if you're getting a template and they're not collecting anything back, and you got to wonder after a year or so, template after template after template, like you're going through like, 12 four-week blocks based off of what are you getting your 13th block or are you just paying for a template you know what i mean it's like right right yeah it becomes that um on the flip side um so it depends there's different coaches who have that cookie cutter i got a big name or lifters who become coaches i got a big name i'm gonna fire off blocks but you also get what you pay for they might say you know right off the bat here's templates that have worked 85% 85% of the time, it's going to be discount pricing. It's fairly cheap, but they're not customized. Or pay $200, I'll be all over you. I'll be every single week with Skyping. I'll be whatever. You're paying $200. So you kind of get whatever. Um, but on the flip side, when we were talking about coaches, or sorry, athletes having good meets, bad meets, whether or not that's reason to fire a coach, 100% agree. Like in um, the thing with like baseball, hockey, whatever the shit, they have like so many games. So you can have some bad days and it all works out in the, in the end, right? But um, for powerlifting, you have like two or three meets a year, that could be your year if you have like two or three bad days. And you see something like for Russell Orhe, he had a couple of meets where his total wasn't going up. His numbers weren't really going up as a whole squat was, but the, the overall total wasn't moving a whole heck of a lot. Bam, this Raw Nationals, Breaks into the 800 kilos. Now is smashing a dead 720 dead. And his numbers are flying. If he didn't have the confidence in Joey Flex, and he's like in the middle of like like after the Arnold's, you know, when when his total was lower, lower than Taylor Atwoods, or going into the Worlds, it wasn't the greatest total. It was salt like silver medal, but where people were hyping he should be in the 800s and he still hadn't yet. If he's like, I'm out, and he fired Joey Flex, he never would have seen the gains he saw now. 
And that's probably where the communication, you know, you kind of know, look at, um, in sports, you have good days, you have bad days. And um, it's not always just like, well, you got to give it to the coach. You know what I mean? It is, uh, I know what you mean, but it is a careful balance. What would you say someone should look for when they're trying to choose a coach? Well, I would say, you know, somebody, it's hard to tell, obviously, from just, you know, doing research on the coach, but somebody who really cares about their athletes, number one, for sure, because they're going to put in the energy to do the best job they can. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is somebody who bases their coaching in evidence, right? So you have information to back up why you're making the decisions you make, right? And somebody who takes kind of like the strength guys do and like how I do, you take a complete history of the athlete that you're working with, right? Um, when I talk to my athletes or Jason and Ben talk to their athletes, there's always you know, extensive communication, you know, a lot of back and forth, you know, a lot of feedback and trying to figure out what works, you know, based upon the past data. So if you can find a coach or something like that, mm-hmm. that would be the best move I feel like, you know. I mean, like, you can also just tell passion, right? Like Joey Flex, you know, is very, very popular for a reason. Right, like he cares about his athletes. Yeah. Jason and Ben care about their athletes. I care about my athletes. Yeah, you know, and like, I there are some coaches I know who I'm not going to name <laughs> that definitely they don't have at least appearance wise they don't that they don't have that uh, same outward passion. Right, so you can you can tell. Yeah, it's hard to like it's hard to tell from like an initial, but you know once you work with them for a little bit, you know have a competition two under your belt, you get the feel. Yeah, of how that coach a, operates. Yeah, yeah. And like, do they know at all what's going on with me? Do they know how my training's going? Really? Like, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. yeah. Or if they're totally in the dark, you're like, all right, man, I could be anybody. I'm just sending you money. Right. Exactly. I've had, you know, clients of mine who come to me who said their past coaches just kind of gave them a program and kind of shoot them away. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a so, bad sign. That's what I'm saying um, for anybody listening. I always tell them, like, if a coach doesn't know what your training numbers were for your last block and he just doesn't know at all, there's a problem. Because what's he basing his decisions on? We're past that in Powerlift. We're past templates. Like, maybe a template in terms of, um, like, you got a a base to work with. But if you're not collecting data off it and then making decisions off of that, like, we're past the point where trust a template. Template never changes. doesn't matter who you are. It works for everybody. That's not the way it goes anymore, is it? For sure. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we're moving into, like, artificial intelligence now. Which is, yeah. um, How do you feel about that? It's interesting, man. Yeah. It's really interesting. I like to see where this goes in the next five, ten years. I mean, it's, it's, I'm 100% on. And I was saying, so I think I've talked to uh, the strength guys about the artificial intelligence as well as who brought it up? I think it's Gary Blevins who was mm-hmm. talking about it. But there's a couple different, now we've got a couple different AI programmers. And I don't know if I want to be like the guy who's on the first version or the guy who's doing <laughs> the 2.0. And you know, like, oh, okay, like this, because I mean, it, I don't know how. You know, advanced it is, right? To be the guy who's going to dedicate six months to it. But it's intriguing because it's like a chess player who goes against the computer. The chess player himself has, like, you know, X amount of different plays. In terms of chess, there's a million different plays you can make. Powerlifting, the actual competition itself, um, I mean, you got your attempts. You could do a couple change attempts for deadlifts. But it's not cre- It's not like a chess, I would say, so much. But the programming, you're damn right it is. The programming, there's so many possibilities, it, whether it's pulling off of blocks, paused, 
you, you pull sumo, but I'm going to have you pull conventional. I want you to do touch and go. I want you to do reset. I want the so many, how many rep ranges, the possibilities are like exponential. It's endless. So then a human's ideals for possibilities are, you know, could be limited to what they know, what they've seen. But the thought of like that chess master AI programmer that has every single flip and possibility and is pulling from that is, it's kind of scary. It's like, is in 10 years, are they going to look at us and think, oh my God, these guys were like cavemen. You know, like we were like bare knuckle boxers compared to Larry the Floyd Mayweathers. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> it makes you wonder. But on the flip side, are, but I, we're thinking the AIs like that. Will the AI be the equivalent of like 8-bit Nintendo, Super Mario Bros? It's not there yet. And you could be hopping on that program and it's like, eh, based off these numbers, do this. But it doesn't have the same intuition and experience, etc. that humans have. Like, so I have mixed feelings about it. I'm not sure yet. Like, what do you think? Do you think we're, we're there yet? Or, or what are your thoughts? I don't think we're there yet. I mean, I know that Garrett Blevins uses, um, he calls it Skynet, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, to do a lot of his um, programming, and I think he's working. I think he's working with Chad Wesley Smith as well on like doing something for Juggernaut. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we're there quite yet. But the question I always think about is like, as new research develops, and you know, like we have new methodologies of training and you know, coaching, and new studies come out, like how are we going to implement that into AI? Yeah. You know, because once those new that new information comes out, like how. There, there are now more possibilities that could be entered into this program. Like, I'm not a programmer, so I think I'm just talking out of my ass. Yeah, but, but it's true. You know, I, I, I know what you mean. Like, you, um, so AI, like, does it only have the possibilities we input into it? And that's what it's stuck at. You can update new possibilities. Or is it AI that it actually contemplates like me and you contemplate and learns like me and you learn? Like, right. I don't know. I don't know because I don't think... I can't think it's that yet. I don't think... I don't think it's that one. Yeah. No. 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 That's what I'm saying, too. And that's where I'm like, I want it to be... Like, I've heard stories of AI. I don't know, like, how it went to... We could go down the rabbit hole, my friend, and talk about AI. But um, we, I've heard stories about... They turned on two AI machines, and they were talking to each other. The AIs were talking. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and then I might make this story even better. But, but then it really <laughs> is. But... I think the AI said to the other AI, hey, I think we're being listened to. And then they developed their own language on the fly, taught it to each other, started talking into a language. Humans couldn't decipher code. Humans couldn't decipher. And then the humans are like, holy shit. They just, they, A, became self-aware, which is the crazy AI thing where like, we're being listened to. I don't know if they knew we're AI and what AI is and all that. I don't know how self-aware in terms of that, but they became self-aware enough. Somebody's listening to us and we should change up the language we're using so they don't know what we're saying. Is that true? Or did I just make that? that by I, I think that's Facebook. Yes. I think so. It happened on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. And then they changed it. And then they said, we better kill this AI before we for real have Sky. Yeah, they just pulled the plug before they have a real Sky yeah. on their hands. <laughs> before the real shit happened. So in terms of like, if, if and when they develop an AI like that, 100%, I'm on board. If he's like, you know, can, can actually not only um, learn new processes, but learn new ways of learning and, and do like research himself. Like that AI on your computer is constantly surfing the internet looking for the latest researchers and shit like that. That's good. 
but is he like fucking Borishiko? He's got like 16 different Borishiko platforms and that's all he's got. And it will never go past right. Borishiko. You know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm the confused. first option is definitely the one that seems like the best. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe in the next five, ten years we'll see something like that. And coaching will be not obsolete, but, you know, more limited to the psychological portion. If that, ha- if that happens, like, because technique's always a thing. If you're getting into AI like that, I mean, video, right now we have video, like I was saying, they could judge bar speed. They could judge bar path. They could judge, like, if shit gets wild like this, um, and you got an AI that sent me your video, it tells your bar speed, bar path, everything, and it tells you, like, here's what you got to do to fix your bar path, bar speed. Like, where would that leave coaching now? I don't know. It's, we'll all become uh, sports psychologists. <laughs> yeah. Almost, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I'm not sure if it'll ever get to that point. Um... It'd be interesting, man. Yeah. It'd be really interesting. If you think about it, even handling. I know handling. Uh, now now I got you thinking, fuck, I better go back to school because this isn't long term. <laughs> 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 but uh, don't worry. Don't worry. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But um, I know handling, if you crunch the numbers, like Matt Gary, for instance, right? Um, he's on the show often. And he'll crunch numbers where he'll take a look at the nominations Go online, gather what's your percentages for hitting your first attempt, second attempt, third attempt on all your lists so he knows all your percentages. And when you jump 10 kilo, how often do you get it? When you jump five, how often do you get it? So when it's day of, oh, Rob just jumped five kilo, probably going to get it. Oh, Rob just jumped 10 kilo this time. And of the last five times he jumped 10 kilo, he's only got like a 10% chance of getting it. So they start making decisions like that. And that's like Matt Gary, who's like a powerlifting nerd like us, who, you know, crunches numbers. It'd be interesting, like, imagine an AI that has endless research capabilities and just crunches numbers beast purely on almost like gambling, where the odds of you beating the house are so hard, and, it, and AI becomes the house. But this could be all sports. You know what I mean? This could be... It's crazy, man. That might be like some sort of PED on its own. <laughs> no, no shit, you know? man. Yeah. There's yeah. a competition. It is. It's like, it's mind-boggling if you go down this path, man. But listen, if AI starts getting like that, powerlifting would be the smallest. If, if we start getting AI that, like that, powerlifting's like the smallest impact. We're looking at all sports sure. will be like, absolutely boom goes. The, what would the Olympics look like if everybody's got this capabilities? Oh, it'll be nuts. It would be absolutely insane. Like, yeah. in terms of nutrition, sleeping, everyone's hooked up the machines, the whole nine, like, it'll be next level stuff. The only, the thing is with powerlifting, I don't know if there's enough money for us to get. It would have to be so far advanced that this level of technology is actually low level by the time powerlifting gets it. Because I think as like, you know, NBA players will get that kind of shit. But will Russell or he get that? Be a little tougher. He yeah, might have to true. settle, you might have to settle for Joey Flex. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. But, uh, but yeah. It's quite the... Fuck, man. This is one of these conversations you have on a Friday night have too many beers watching Terminator. <laughs> you watching Terminator or, or uh, iRobot or some shit. But um, going back to yourself, though, because I want to bring up to um, when, you, when you appeared on everybody's radar. So was this... Uh, so you, you were 74 kilo. Um, when did you move into the 83 kilo class? Uh, 2015 or 16. And you're still with the strength guys? Yeah, still with the strength guys. 
And then when did you start, because you really started popping up on our radar leading into these nationals. Did you have like a moment? When was the moment when your numbers started hitting on that level? Because we might, you might have always been, we just didn't see it. But you really popped up on the radar leading into these nationals. Well, that 650 squat was um, something I have a tendency of doing, which is uh, not good, but going off program. Uh-oh. Right? <laughs> so I forgot when I hit that, but it must have been like after like Brett Gibbs had done some shit or I saw Russell do something. And I decided I'm going in and doing it. Kind of like the 675 I hit recently. Yeah. Yeah, I've um, seen that too. Yeah, I saw Nathan Tannis hit that, right? And I was like, ah, oh, this motherfucker. And yeah. I was planning on hitting the, you know, the new world record at the Arnold, hopefully, right? And then he upped it a little bit more to like 305. So I'm like, all right. Now I, I just went in and did it, right? Impulsive, yeah. emotional shit. But um, yeah, man. I mean, like, I feel like... The last year has been really good for me as far as the 83 class is concerned because I feel like I've kind of fully filled it out by this point. You know, I was kind of like just um, struggling to catch up for like the last two years. And then towards, you know, beginning of this year, I was like, all right, I, I feel strong now. I feel like really, really Start good. Like hitting my, your stride. Yeah, my uh, muscle mass is feeling on my frame a bit more. I could, you know, compete a little bit leaner. So I felt like I was like, in a bit, much better spot, so hence numbers are like six fifty or six seventy five. And in in saying that, so at the Arnold Classic, is it? Can you do IPF world records? Or are they unofficial? Uh, I think it's unofficial. Damn it! Because there's a time yeah, when you could. There's a time when you could. Is there um, even if is there like because there's international meets like North American Championship, Pan American that you could still make the teams for? Are you looking at? I mean, you could break world records at those. Are you looking at possibly hitting one of those and going for a world record squad? Um, I talked to Jason and Ben about it, and they said we'll decide after the Arnold. Yeah. So um, we'll we'll see at that point. You yeah. know, right, right now, right now we're focusing on the uh, the Arnold only right now, um, and then we'll just see what comes up after that. It's either maybe North Americans or just going to Raw Nats, having a long off season. The thing is, so with that. I've seen some people, like, okay, so you know in sports, in life, let's say in life period, the older you get, um, the more you see certain opportunities that were there and then close, and then there and then close. And the biggest regrets I got, I'm, I'm a little older, for, I'm pushing 40, in, in 2019 I'll be 40. It's the things you left on the table you didn't do, you're like, God damn it, when I had the opportunity, right? And if I was to ever get advice to a dude yourself, 15 years younger, I would say, if you think... You could get a world record right now, and you could go to like a North Americans and sit on the table, my man. <laughs> you know, it'll change, it would change your resume forever. No one can ever take that from you. Broke world record. You know what I mean? It's one of those deals. Because the thing with like, um, not just powerlifting, man. I don't want to get too cheesy here, but just in life in general, these things come and go. Sometimes you know you think they'll always be there, but you see how quickly the sport changes, right? If yep. the Next, if the squat record goes into like 700 something silly, it's like, God damn it. That was summer. That 2019 summer was my summer. <laughs> you never know. You're right. You're right. And, and maybe it's a good idea to do it. I'll have to talk to Jason and Ben and see yeah. what we all decide is the best move. Yeah. But that's one thing that I've developed in as far as like lifting is concerned is following the program to the T. Yeah. <laughs> That's something I was so shitty with 
for such a long time, but such an emotional lifter. And like, I've, the more consistency I've developed, the better I've done. And so hopefully the Arnold, I'll be able to put together like the most consistent packet of training I've been able to put together. And then maybe we'll go for the North Americans. It kind we'll of, you, yeah, you want to see what the Arnold package looks like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what, what would you say, so leading into the Nationals, because you were hitting some massive numbers. Um, and you were saying that I think you took an injury at the Nationals, either at it or right before it. Did you before. Get, was it? Okay, so what happened? What, what injury was that? Yeah, I, I didn't really talk about this too much on social media because I didn't want to be one of those guys who's like, oh, I was injured. And I can like, that's why that. It's, I hate when people do that. I mean, the truth is it's what happened. Um, but that same uh, bullshit that I was doing going off program had a lot to do with what happened in Nationals. So uh, there's a couple of different things. One was going off program, right? Like, for example, I hit that 595 for five reps, right? And then the week before, I did it again, right? And then went off program some other time prior. I went off program too many times. So it's not good, <laughs> right? So you're, like, you're like, woo, I feel I mean, good. Like accumulating, like, way too much volume and, like, you know, just, you know, acute fatigue build up from, like, those times on my going off program. Not good, right? Um, I also wasn't using knee sleeves during training for most of my training. Um, and there was no reason behind it, really. I just kind of wasn't doing it. So my knees weren't uh, protected nearly the same. Um, the injury that I had was in my knees. So like my rectus femoris, which is like the, the, the largest hip extensor in your quads, um, both of them just felt like just cables, like tight, right? Like just, and it was un, kind of unbearable, to be honest. Like two weeks out from nationals, I had to hit like 573 for a couple triples. And I would get through like one like grindy rep and I have to like lay down. And like tears are welling up my eyes in the gym because I can't even stand up to walk. And when I can get up to walk after like 20 minutes, I'm limping around the gym. Yeah. So like I was having a really, really rough time uh, just squatting and deadlifting going into Nats. And so I was able to pull together for that, um, that squat on Nats, but it wasn't anywhere near I'd hoped. Uh, so that going up program was one thing. Another was um, I had crash dieted from like 192 or 193 to like 182 in Holy two weeks. Holy smokes, dude. So it, it sucked, man. It wasn't good. I, and I really should have been on top of that uh, nutrition-wise. But um, in my defense, um, I had a lot of uh, personal life shit going on at the time. And I was pretty um, stressed out. And I posted about that a couple of times on Instagram. But um, – I let my eating get out of hand, right? Just as like a, a comfort to all the stress I was dealing with. And so I had to crash diet to get down to weight. So the stress, the going off program and the diet didn't help at all. No, it's, and that's, these are variables that people don't take into account. Like there are variables, you know, and yeah. they, when you lift and you compete enough, you realize there's so many different variables. Sleep is another one. Travel. If you travel, if it's the world, you travel 30 hours, time zone changes, try it, it'll mess you up. So there's so yeah. many variables. Um, but do you, do you diet down or do you water cut at all? Cause you could, I don't water cut. Ah. Um, I just diet down, um, just straight with macros. So I would generally be like right now I'm in a good spot. I'm 188. Right. And excuse me, the Arnold's like, um, 11 ish weeks out right now. Something like that. So, like, I have five pounds to lose, which is nothing. 
mm-hmm. you know. But usually I don't like to do that because even like 1% loss of fluid can affect your performance. So I prefer just walking feeling like it's a normal day. So you don't like the water cut at all? I don't, no. Have you tried it? I have. Um, I did like a little mock meet a couple years back when I tried it because I didn't want to like fuck myself up on a real competition. Yeah. And it, it was not good for me. Really? No shit. Didn't it's... like it, man. Did not like it. See, it's intriguing. Like sometimes, um, so I usually, I'm 83 and I'll cut from like around buck 90, buck 89 range to the 83 kilo class. And I won't notice on the day like a difference, but there are some people, like there are people who, who like you got like a Charlie Dixon who cut from way the shit out. But, yeah. um, but other people, like you cut five pounds, it can be huge. It's everyone's different when it comes to water cutting. Uh, 100%. Yeah. And it, um, if you're, and it goes for both. So Paul, who usually does the co-host thing, he, he was cutting 74. So for a long time, like the cut was going super smooth. Then he started getting cocky because he was cutting, I mean, 12 pounds of water, which is big for 70. You think like percentage yeah, of 74. That's sure. huge. And I'm like, dude, what the <laughs> shit? Like, if that's nuts. And, and he was still hitting PRs. Like, I mean, lifting more than he would in the gym. Like when he's no cut at all, obviously. So it was working for him. So shoe fits, kick it. But he got cocky. So then the one meet, he ended up trying like a 15 pound, like eventually it's too much. He got, he got cocky, right? So it was hell. And he had a really shitty meet, except for his very last deadlift. Um, he got a PR again, but by then he was 15 pounds heavier from all the water he drank. Oh, right. you know, if I had a six hour weigh instead of two hour weigh it would have been okay. So we got a PR. So on the flip side, to combat that, he decided to diet down instead of water cutting. However, he did um, exact same situation where he like overreacted to it. So like he overreacted getting cocky and did too big of a water cut. He overreacted and did too much of a calorie deficit. Whereas to make weight, um, he didn't like the last, I think, 24 hours, he didn't eat anything. Because he's on weight. Oh, shit. And, yeah. And so, so, when he told me this, so I was coaching him. And um, I was like, he knows, everyone knows, like, I told him, if you step on the scale with some food in your hands, if it's like 300 grams of food, but it can be so many calories, you could spit out, like, in terms of, like, just to stay this, like, in terms of water, you can maintain the body size so easy with very little. You can take a shower, lose a pound of sweat, and eat a pound of food. It can be so much calories. You feel it. Wait, right. that's good. But um, he just wasn't working that. He just didn't want to sweat at all or wa- anything to do with water because it's bad experience. Some people do that, right? You burn your hand and you go way the opposite direction. So mm. for 24 hours, he didn't eat. So that day, he had, he had an even worse day than the first time. And I'm like, Paul... I don't think I've ever, like, if you if I miss, if I don't eat for, like, six hours, I go to the gym, I'm going to have a bad day. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a rough day. 24 hours, my friend. Holy smokes. So. Yeah, dude, that's rough. That's rough, man. That is, yeah, you're not going to have, you're not going to PR. That's insane to think about. No. But, uh, but uh, so it is, like, that's a weird balance, right, where only, I think only experience really gives that to you, where you know, all right, how much water, if any, in terms of dieting down, I still got to hit certain foods. So um, my question for you, when you were like dieting down, how much will you cut? And have you gotten to a space where you're like, look, if I, I need at least as many calories and macros going into my body. Otherwise, the gas just isn't in the tank. Um, I can make it work. Like I've 
been in competitions where I've had to cut down to like something stupid like 2,200 calories a day yeah. in order to make weight. Yeah, but I'm, I've been able to manage it. You know, wow. it's just really like the trick I find, you know, is just having more, like, you know, voluminous food. Like, for example, like a sweet potato has the same amount of calories as, say, like however many, uh, like, say, jelly beans, for example. Yeah. Right? So, but, you know, the physical weight of the sweet potato is obviously way more than a couple of jelly beans. So it fills your stomach up more, has more fiber, all that sort of thing. So, like, in those circumstances where I have less calories, just have more, like, fibrous food, more voluminous foods and like that just makes me feel like I'm fuller mm-hmm. do, in do, no circumstances do you in terms of the calories pulled from it um do you like reverse diet in so you drop the body weight reverse it up body weight stays low slow reverse so that your calorie intake's more but the body weight stays low like do you do stuff like reverse dieting with calorie manipulation I don't reverse diet into competitions um I'll do it after oh okay Right, but I mean, it's I haven't really had to cut too much. That one time um, was pretty bad. Yeah, twenty two hundred calories a day. Yeah. Um, usually I'm sitting around like twenty seven fifty to cut, but um, yeah, I mean I'll I'll try I'll try not to go too um too fast or to you know have to get to any extreme sort of situation. Because it takes a lot of gas. I, I'm. So at one point, so I walk around like like in the 180s now. At one point, I was 220. Way okay. heavier, okay? Uh, yeah. I, was, I was a six-pack lapid at the time, only in there. <laughs> and um, and uh, I was cutting, so I was cutting like 30 pounds. And at one point, like when I was at the very bottom of my calories, I would go in my, another co-host we do often, Randy, whose Skype account we're using right now, um, he was also cutting, but he was cutting like way slower. So I, my metabolism just quicker. So my body lost tons of weight quick. I go into the gym and there are days, man, like fractions of what I normally be lifting. And it would feel heavy, like weight, deadlift weight would be glued to the ground. I'm like, holy, I'm telling Randy, I'm like, dude, this is tough. This is, I'm like, this is scary. Like it was my strength to come back. And he's all like, no. Mm. I think it's just mental fortitude you need to... Like, is that a nice way of saying I'm a pussy? <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's, trust me, it's real. So then I think that was when I first, from 220, got into like the 190s. It got hard. The body adjusted and things got back to normal again. And then, because he's like three months behind, when he finally went into the 190s and he's like, holy shit. I'm like, yeah, man. You see, yeah, man, it's difficult. <laughs> It's not as easy as you think, but um, yeah, that's a whole other ballgame. Do you do? Do you get nutritionists to help work with you, or do you do your own research and handle it yourself? I handle it myself right now. Um, for a little while, I had um, Ben Escrow help me out with that. Mm. Um, currently, I do it myself. Yeah, it is. It's one of those variables. Like, um, especially off season, it's not as bad. You don't need to pay a guy. All, going into the holidays, I don't want to pay a guy to tell me I'm drinking and eating too much. No shit, right? <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> I'm, living my, I'm living the good life right now. But um, leading into a meet sometimes is easier. When you're stressed, like if you've got a lot of variables moving around, sometimes like, all right, tell me what to do. Because I'm, um, like you said, when you're stressed eating and stuff, you're like, I need somebody to take the wheel of this car. I could probably do it, but when there's too many variables, too much stress, sometimes easier just to offload if it's available, like, money permitted etc right exactly it gives you one less thing to think about 100 and i've usually it's when people start taking on too much that like it 
especially your last few weeks, tough things can happen. You know, you, like, when, you, when, you, when you were talking about that one training session, walking in the gym, you're like, yeah, I'm feeling like a champ right now. And you're smashing these type of weights. It's, it's uh, you can get caught up emotionally in the moment. I've been there too. Anyone who's like trained long enough, been competing long enough, has overshot at least one of those training cycles and had one of those For weeks sure. where you're like, whoo, I left the best in the gym. Like, <laughs> was, For sure. If you would have caught me six weeks ago, whoo, boy. But today, I left it in the gym for sure. It happens. Yeah, man. It happens. That's basically what happened at Raw Nats. I think, like, when you're a coach, you need stuff like that, though, to know. Because I, when I approach different athletes that I'm coaching, I'll be like, listen, I know what's happening right now. I know you're feeling like a champ. Believe, I've, I've been there. I'm not, you know, but it's not going to end the way you think it is. You start doing the math where you're like, if I hit this for a triple... This is my, you know what I mean? And you're like, yeah, yeah. this is where my single's going to be. It's like, uh, maybe, or you're just going to tax the shit out of yourself for that triple. Right? All right. 100%. 100%. But you, but you feel so in the moment. Yeah, that's where you got to, like, kick the ego at the door. It's like, it's not, it doesn't matter. All that matters is the performance of the platform. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we've all got caught up crunching numbers. I'm going to fucking Absolutely. break world. I'm going to be the biggest talk in my powerlifting sport, you know, with all these numbers I'm hitting. Um, I wanted to get to, because uh, we've been going on over an hour now, uh, talk about the what you're doing in Asia. Um, tell me okay. a little bit about that, helping establish some federations and whatnot. And how did this come to pass? Yeah, so um, I work as a ref for the USAPL. And um, last year in the fall, I was um, refing and there was... Um, guy who would have come and sit down next to me to do the ref test as well. So I was kind of like assessing him and um, seeing if he'd passed the practical portion of it. So his name is uh, John Coyle, and he runs a company called JC Worldwide Enterprises. So me and him got talking. I was just starting out, you know, my online business at that time. Um, and then he had his business running, you know, for quite a few years, right? He works primarily out of Thailand. Um, so we kind of hit it off, and he was um, taking me under his wing for business for a while. We were Skyping back and forth while he was in Thailand, and uh, he loves powerlifting. So he said, listen, Thailand doesn't have a federation. You know, there's a lot of strong-ass people here, and I want to establish a federation here. I've got Lane Norton coming out and his girlfriend, Holly Baxter. They're doing seminars on nutrition and um, a little bit on the list as well. Um, it's like, why don't you come out and do a seminar as well? So I'm like, well, fuck yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm out, right? yeah. So he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go out there. Um, you're going to give a seminar on just powerlifting 101, just introduce the Thai people to what it is, rules and regulations of IPF competition, um, you know, talk about, you know, coaching, we'll do a practical, and we'll also hold a press conference. So, you know, all the, uh, the sports media in Thailand will come out. We'll talk about it so the entire nation knows about Are what you it is. Serious, man. It was cool, man. Holy smokes! You like had a press that, conference. Dude, it was nerve wracking. I didn't think I was gonna be at the press conference at first, and then I found out eventually I was. Whoa. Dude, they were just a wall of cameras. What? This is and, fucking um, nuts, man. I was a little nervous to come on here because yeah. how big the podcast is. <laughs> like that, I would have been more nervous had I not done that. I mean, that yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. That shit was crazy. Whoa. But um, <laughs> wow. So so we did that, um, and then they established the Thailand Powerlifting Federation, and they just, I believe, attained a IPF status as of January. Wow! Congratulations. So yeah, awesome. 
So I'm going to be going back there again in April to do some more seminars and we'll possibly go to either China, Singapore, or the Philippines. It's going to be one of those three in addition to Thailand. Um, but in Thailand, we're going to do kind of do a tour. So we'll go up to north of Chiang Mai and then um, Bangkok as well. And uh, we're going to hold a whole bunch of different types of seminars that we did last time. We'll have the beginner ones like last time but, and some intermediate ones as well. Get into some sports psychology and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, so they're, I think, uh, aside from Panama, they're the new, the newest IPF um, country now. And they'll be competing in Worlds possibly in 2020. Wow, man. It's, yeah. you know, and this is all because you sat beside them. Yeah. Isn't life, it. isn't life it's, freaking crazy, man? It's like, weird, man. It's, so here's, th this is what I tell people all the time is when you have like a positive mind, when you're approachable. You know, everyone knows certain people, you walk in the room, and some dudes carry themselves certain ways, some girls too, but mostly dudes, and they're just not super approachable. You're probably not going to say what's up, because they're a little bit rough around the edges type. When you carry that kind of shit with you, people tell. You get a vibe, this dude doesn't want to talk to me, he's in the room, he's not looking to make friends, he's avoiding eye contact, that's all good, I don't got to be friends, buddy. We'll just sit beside each other, go about our day. But when you, like, walk in the rooms, ready for, hey, the next guy, I'm not saying you got to make friends with everybody you meet. But just open mind, you know, just, you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know who enters your life, you know? And when you sit beside someone and just open up, hey, how are you? And start a conversation. Listen to what they say, reply back, get the ball rolling. You never freaking know the doors that open. Yeah, you know, 100%. You, you never I, know the doors that open, man. I didn't think that I was going to be going to Asia after talking to this guy, you know? And that's... that's and like, to end up being like, you know, really good friends... And, uh, you know, we formed a really great business relationship. And, uh, oh, I forgot to mention this. We're going to be working on an um, online powerlifting academy, um, primarily targeted towards Asia. Yeah. But it will allow people to learn about powerlifting and get involved in it, you know, at a faster level than us going around and doing the individual seminars yeah. there. It will kind of, like, amplify the way, the way we can expand the knowledge of the sport. Wow. So, it's really cool. We're looking at right now. I actually just finished the uh, the promo video before I got on here with you. And how hype is that? To to like to, to feel like how the shit? What does it just coming apart because you sat beside him? Start getting the ball rolling. You know, take <laughs> it, a it's, it's a weird feeling, man. Yeah. I didn't think that I would be at this point in my career at right now. Right. I mean, I've always wanted to like go across the globe and you know talk and hold seminars and expand the sport, but it's here. Yeah. And it's, it's happened and it's still happening. It's, you, it's, it's really crazy, man. You know, okay, so um, I, I like identify with the story too, and I think a lot of people will. Uh, oftentimes, like you, you sit back and like, how would this ever happen? How would, how do you like start touring the world with seminars? How do you meet certain people like that? You got to get, oh, you got to be lucky. Sort of yes, sort of no. Okay, so King of the Lifts, I just started reposting and start creating like a forum. And as the forum grows and you're reposting and you're meeting more people and now I'm commentating at the IPF World Championships, same thing, I was running their Instagram and then um, opportunities pop up and it's like, hey, would you, uh, like I said, could I start commentating? You start trying out, they test you here, things grow, but it's because you keep reaching out. And then a partner, that a guy who became a partner, he runs, a, a kind of like your situation, he runs a supplement company, he's like, self-made millionaire but not you know whatever he's like a normal dude but he's he's an entrepreneur and uh, entrepreneur and having conversations with him and talking about king lifts and all of a sudden he's like i want to come on 
kind of like your situation. And you just, it happens slowly. And I feel lucky as shit to meet him. But I'm also, you're grinding. You're working hard and you're open to these things. You're meeting, how many, yeah. every, every single week, I'll interview individuals like yourself. And every, like all around the world. And every single week I'm hitting emails or whatever. And every single day I'm reposting and messaging people and um, setting up these type of meetings. The more you do stuff like this and get the ball rolling, the more people you talk to, the more you stay open, don't burn bridges, but open doors, the more shit like this opens up. But the more you go the opposite route and you try to be like internet troll style, that's how you want to gain your fame, the more you burn bridges and the more when your name rolls around, people aren't like, yeah, let me, let me work with this guy. It's the opposite. It's the, and one of them is more sudden. It's easier to say something negative, get, a, get attention and become that guy. It's harder to grind and just meet people and six months down the road, you meet someone else and then six months and then slowly, that's harder long play, but it's, I think it's far more productive for the sport, for yourself. It's positive and more of a foundation. So like, I totally yeah, get, I totally get when you say that and people are like, well, you got lucky. You sat beside that guy. Yeah, not really, man. Because a lot of people could have sat beside that guy and not got what you got going. Right. It's true. Yeah. I mean, like, dude, I'm very, very grateful. And like you said, it feels like it's lucky, but it's not lucky at the same time. Yeah. Right? Because, like, I've been, dude, I love the sport so much. Yeah. You, you can't know? fake that. And, you can't fake that. You know, I mean, like, and I would, I would do anything, you know, to see this sport, you know, get as high as, you know, the Olympics and, you know, to expand its reach worldwide. And... I was surprised when this opportunity arose, man. But like you said, you got to have the courage, just you know, dive in the opportunity when when it does arise. You know, and I'm like, he's like, are you gonna come out to Asia? I'm like, I've never fucking left. You know, <laughs> I've, I've been as far as Canada. Yeah, you know? that's <laughs> like, international. Yeah, that's a drive. Yeah. One time. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. And here's another thing too. Like when he met you and started talking to you, you can get the vibe of somebody whether or not you want to work with them. People yeah. like, like you got to be cognitive of how you carry yourself. Like, um, you know, some people carry themselves a certain way and they could tell, good guy. He's trying to push things forward, trying to move things forward. Like he's, you want to work with him. Would you want to work with this person? Yeah. And then there's other people where you're like, they're just shitty for some reason, for no reason to other people. <laughs> you know, they're just looking for, like, yeah, you, yeah. you're like, I don't, would you want to work with him? If I had to, but I'm not looking forward to that. Like, you know what I mean? If some people don't understand how they come off. Yeah, you can pick up on that vibe. 100%. Yeah, man. That's why I'm saying it's not just you're lucky you sat beside him. He got a, he, it's it's because of you. You know, when he started having this conversation, you could tell, okay, I can get behind this guy. And um, you're not going to, guys like him, guys like Adrian, who I met, they don't get behind somebody if they're not going to grind. You know, I've had conversations with Adrian. So he's an entrepreneur who's got his toes in a lot of different ponds right now. But um, if he doesn't think you got some hustle and you don't have vision and, and you're not passionate about it, you know, and you're not going to get behind somebody who's not going to back it up. Just like your connect that you hooked up with, he knows Ali is going to show up. He's going to grind. He's going to push us forward. It's not going to be enthusiasm where it comes and goes and that's the end of it. That's like the difference between motivation and discipline. Some people get excited, but when it's tough, excitement comes and goes. But discipline is... Whether you're excited or not excited, every single day you repost or every day you're answering, you know, even if you've got a bunch of stressors answering your your, co your clients and whatnot. Every single day, every single week, you, you're belting off 
podcast, no matter whatever the shit's going on, or every single week you're doing these Skype interviews, being like, how do we get these seminars booked, etc. That's discipline. You know what I mean? It's different. 100%. You, you're having a shitty week. It doesn't matter. Yet. I'm going to get things done. So if you're going to go for a partner, you I've had people get super motivated. Like, Dude, let's do this, that, and the other. And they're crazy motivated, but they're kind of here and there. And I've had other people where I know, right. like, this guy's a grinder. It doesn't fucking matter. He's going to get things done. doesn't matter what, what, if it's sunny out or if it's raining. You know what I mean? There's a difference. Yeah, somebody who's reliable. Yeah. That's, that's exactly. hard, man. It's hard to find that passion at the same level as discipline. Yeah. No, it, it's, I think it is like, um, Adrian explained to me, sometimes it's like, how long can you bleed? It's almost like, um, even if, if things are rolling your way, but you're still in, the, in there, some people won't be. And, and you find out quick. And then, um, sure. you know, so you have to like, at some times, man, I'm doing the podcast by myself right now. Or I'm doing whatever. Things come and go, but you have to maintain. You know, you have to keep on path with your, your pursuits. Uh, you, you're doing the right thing. This is exactly it. Look, I man, we just had a conversation ourselves and, and build a bridge, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely, the, man. The world's, the world's a funny place. Um, if, if people are trying to get a hold of you for coaching, by the way, how do they get a hold of you? Um, they can get a hold of me through Instagram. So Instagram is Rob Alley Strength. Um, so R-O-B-A-L-I-S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H. And then my email for coaching is the same thing, Strength at gmail.com. Perfect. And do you have sponsors that you want to give a shout out to, by the way? I don't have any sponsors, actually. Um, I am supported by uh, X Factor, um, which is a meal supply, um, a meal prep company here in Long Island. They um, work primarily out of Atlet Athletics and some other places around the island. Um, so shout out to them for sure. Um, I want to thank, for sure, uh, Jason and Ben, because uh, my, my life definitely would not be the same had I not met Jason and Ben as well. Um, my friend uh, Gary Amwinger, who um, um, directed me towards Ben, and uh, you know just my support from uh, friends, family, and my girlfriend Elizabeth. And uh, thank you, man, for having me on. I really yeah, appreciate yeah. it. No, man, thanks this for coming. This is like a big deal to me, man. I was like really uh, excited to be on here. Well, and uh, it's a pleasure talking to you, man. Yeah, no, listen, we'll definitely have you back. I want to hear updates on the um, everything going on, like not only your training, and your clients, but everything, the expansion in Asia, I love to hear that. I mean, the Asian Championships also roll around. They have their whole own federation. Um, I mean, it's such a huge talent pool. If you look at the Olympics, I mean, they could, they could totally field some athletic people. So if they come into oh, yeah. powerlifting, whoa, it could be one of those boom goes the dynamite situations. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's funny, you're, uh, when you're describing when you were there and, like, the whole row of press people in front of you, and you're like, holy shit, this doesn't happen in powerlifting. It reminds me of um, when Rondell Hunt. So I'm in Canada. We got our first world champion, Eric Willis. And um, I asked him, like first open world champion. And um, I asked him, like, did, was there newspapers? Was there anybody running stories? He's like, dude, came home. Nothing. No, nobody gave a shit. It is what it is. That's all right. Online, I got some likes, but yeah, whatever it is, what it is. You talk to people in the U.S., you know, it, like there's like NBA players and NFL, like these nations have major sports leagues. You'd be a world champion powerlifter, no one's stopping you in the grocery store for your autograph, right? Right. But, um, it, it is what it is. That's okay. But uh, I had Rondell Hunt on here who won the 105 Juniors. And um, I'm not, are you familiar with Rondell Hunt? I don't know if you see him in the world championship. Not too familiar, no. Oh, so 
he won the the IPF 105 Juniors, and um, his total outtotaled everybody in the 105 Open. And you know how competitive the the battle of the 105s at the Worlds was. Yeah. Probably the Same. biggest. Probably the biggest battle. He outtotaled all those guys as a junior. So I was doing the commentating for both, and I was like blown away by Rondell Hunt's performance. Um, and we had him on the podcast. We talked about it. So I asked him, how what was it like when you lit, when you like went home? He's from the I think the. Oh, damn, I don't want to mess this up. He's from one of the islands in the Caribbean. I think the U.S. Virgin Islands, but I'm going to have to... Or Ivory Coast? I'll have to double-check okay. this. I'll have to double-check this. I feel bad now. But anyways, he landed... Or is it Trinidad and Tobago? Ah, shit. I think it might be. But So he landed. He said Press was at the airport waiting for him to get off the plane like a rock star. He really? was like on talk shows, morning talk shows, man, uh, nationwide newspapers... Because this wow. island, the island is like so much smaller in U.S., Canada. They don't have any of these major franchise sports teams. So when they have a world champion, even junior, it's huge, man. Like he's like much bigger over there than any of us would be in Canada, U.S., whatever the shit. Oh, wow. So, so interesting, man. It is weird how different parts of the world react to that, right? So it's kind of like um, like no one's going to pay attention to his nationals. But like he's, he could be a national icon. He could be a national hero. You know, so um, right, right. It's it's interesting wow. to hear people's situations is different given all over the world, my friend. But uh, that's what your story kind of reminded me of. Who knows, buddy? Five years, you could be huge in China, right? You could be a fucking action star. <laughs> use knows, this as a, use this as a springboard, a platform. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I'm just gonna tell. You're I'm gonna keep working with John and you know the JCW crew, and you know keep expanding the reach throughout Asia. So that's we'll right. see. That's right. That's right. And, and you know the Asians are smart, man. You could have the latest AI. <laughs> <laughs> it's get, possible, man. Get your Maybe team together. That's like you know the secret plan. You just revealed. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly it, my friend. We come full circle. Listen, thanks for coming on, my friend. Appreciate the time. Keep me in the loop, and um, I'll have you back on anytime. Doors always open. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. No problem. Have a good one. You too, man. There you have it. Uh, Rob Ali, 83 kilo lifter, uh, just absolutely smashing weights in training. 675 um, hit that in a squat, which is above the world record. So, I mean, he's right there, man. Uh, He's right there. All he's got to do, get like, obviously be healthy in training and uh, get that weight cut in, in motion right on pace and then who knows who's going to hit but even more interesting i love to hear about lifters who actually give back to the sport i mean i like i wasn't playing when i said there's so many people you can't get them to even spot and load real quick to talk shit about spotters and loaders can't get someone to spot and load we've had there are competitions where um they made a rule if you show up to a provincial championship which is in canada the same as a state championship you show up you do you do some volunteer work spotting and loading you get to go to nationals without actually competing. Change the rule. Now, some people were signed up, and no joke, a week or two beforehand when the rules changed, they decided, oh, word, if I, if I help out, I, it, uh, you know, I don't have to help out if I don't have to. They just dropped down and said, fuck it, you guys are on your own. I'm not going to spot and load. I'm not going to help out. And just left, leave the meat director hanging like, oh, I just lost like 15 people in my spotting and loading crew. Once they found out, it's not going to help their cause. They didn't give a shit less about whether or not the competition runs. They didn't give a shit less about giving back. It was only, do I have to do this? If I don't have to, I'm not going to show up. And it's shitty, but that's, that's, you know, it seems to be common. 
You know, it's it's uncommon for people to actually give back. And um, I mean, this is what this is what we're trying to do is create some excitement, create exposure for all these different lifters. Whether we're doing reposts and features on Instagram, whether we're doing um, you know these podcasts and people get to see their story and and push it forward. Uh, so I mean, by all, please get behind it. You know, tell your friends, give us high ratings, repost it, and we'll reshare it. And we'll keep the train moving. But love to hear guys like Rob Alley, young dude, 26 years old, well-spoken and um, walking through doors, you know, having doors open for him and seizing the opportunity and grinding. And people can tell, man, it's not luck. You know when you meet somebody, A, if they're positive and you even want to sit down and talk to them. Or if they're just negative and you're like, eh, whatever. I'm not going to waste my time with this cat. B, you know if someone's a grinder. You know somebody's going to do what they say they're going to do. You know, jump in the trenches and stay in the trenches and be reliable. You know, you, it's, you, you figure this out real quick. And, um, I mean, Rob exudes it. And, and uh, you know, I love to hear that people are trying to push powerlifting globally. And the more people that get involved, the bigger the sport gets. The more sponsors come involved. And just like for individuals, you don't know what doors open, what people you're going to meet in life. It's the same thing. Powerlifting is a sport. If it gets big in China, you don't know what opens up at that door. You don't know what Rob's doing over there. Is that going to get onto the TV over there? Is that going to get some major sponsors over there? That is a huge market. What Rob's doing right now, ah, it just sounds cool to bring it. Yeah, well, that sounds cool. There's a new Fed. You don't know where this goes. You know, what Rob's doing could be the next big thing for us. You know, we got sponsors coming from all over the world. The markets are huge all over the world, and we are not capitalizing on all these markets. What Rob's doing could be very impactful for all of us five, ten years from now. That's work. You know, that's the type of people we need involved, not just the me, me, me. How many likes do I got? How many views do I got? How much money is on this competition for me? And you don't spot, you don't load, you're not a meet director. And let's give let's give some props to Steffi Cohen, who not only is the women's goat in her division and one of the goats overall, but also she's holding competitions. She's spreading information. I mean, we were talking with some of the lifters who lifted at her meet earlier, but um, that's exactly it, man. She's constantly pushing information to people online for free, holding competitions. People come out and watch it, you know, pushing, helping sport grow. God bless. Love to see these people involved. From Six Pack Lap It At. Hope you enjoyed the show. Until next time, peace.